0: Good morrow everyone and happy Thanksgiving. You are listening to The Other Side of Midnight on 77 WABC. I'm Frank Morano. Well, it is Thursday, but it's also Thanksgiving. Uh, so that means we're going to do things a little bit differently than we typically do. On a Thursday, usually on Thursdays, Brian Kilmeade will join us in the four o'clock hour. He is taking a well-deserved day off today, so no Brian Kilmeade today. But we are going to have a bunch of the segments that we normally do on Friday featured today on Thursday. Those include, to start the show, Ask Frank Anything. So whatever you have questions about... Now's the time to ask. You can give us a call at 1-800-848-WABC. That's 800-848-9222. And if you have an interesting question, you can ask it at any time in the next hour. We are going to give away a prize for whomever comes up with the best question. Also, one quick programming note. I did want to mention that after our show was over today at 5, I am going to be filling in on the WABC early news in place of my colleague, Deb Valentine. Very interesting. I used to host this show, you'll remember. And the last time that I hosted it was on Thanksgiving of last year when I had to leave in the middle of the show because my son was being born. And uh, it is an interesting thing to be back to today. But the reason I mention this, I'm going to take you behind the scenes of what goes on in terms of WABC management, WABC analytics. One of the things our station lives and dies by internally, management pays so much attention to, to the streaming numbers every time the streaming numbers meaning the number of people listening online goes up even slightly they analyze oh why does that happen why does that happen uh they give uh, accolades and praise to anybody that causes the numbers to go up and anytime the numbers go down there are calls for explanation as to why those streaming numbers go down so i would love to make a big pop today so i'm asking all of you if you're listening to me right now Please tune in at 5 a.m. and listen online so we can reflect a big pop from 5 to 6 a.m. and show that when I fill in on other day parts, at the very least, we don't cause the audience to go away. If you have a smart speaker or an Alexa or whatever the other non-amazon devices are you can probably even set your alarm to wake you up with the wabc early news in the event that you fall asleep all right you can go ahead and start queuing up uh with your questions 800-848-WABC on a special thanksgiving edition of ask frank anything beam me up to be continued Good morrow, everyone. Happy Thanksgiving. This is The Other Side of Midnight on 77 WABC. I'm Frank Morano. This is an interesting story, and this is a story that I've been following for about a year and a half. A Staten Island grand jury has identified numerous instances of ballot harvesting fraud in a race for city council last year, including a ballot submitted on behalf of a dead person and signature fraud involving dozens of other absentee ballots. The unprecedented 38-page grand jury report released by Staten Island District Attorney Michael McMahon called for changes in the state election law, including requiring official government-issued ID to vote. But it does not specify the race in question, nor does it file criminal charges against anyone. couple of things here. One, I reviewed the report. I think it's terrific. I think a lot of the recommendations are spot on. They're things that I've supported for years and things that I would have no problem supporting. And on the one hand, I applaud D. McMahon for putting these out there because he's a Democrat and I think when these suggestions come from a Democratic elected official or a Democratic district attorney, there's a better shot that a Democratic state legislature will take them up. But on the other hand, I am disappointed that there are no criminal indictments. Understand what they're saying here. They're saying that there was a ballot submitted on behalf of a dead person. Signature fraud involving dozens of other absentee ballots. And we know what race this is, even though, though they're not saying it. This was the city council campaign of Marco Kepi, who narrowly lost a GOP primary to Mid-Island Councilman David Carr. And he, This guy was in cahoots with Fernando Mateo. If the fraud is so brazen, how do you not bring criminal charges against someone? I'm not saying the candidate himself, but what about the people submitting these ballots for dead voters? There ought to be charges here. If they found the fraud to rise to this level of egregiousness, so much so that they're issuing a 38-page report and 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 recommending changes to the law, don't you think that calls for at least a misdemeanor charge? I'm not saying throw these guys in prison for 20 years. How about a misdemeanor charge? And I suspect the reason why we're not seeing that is the politics of the situation. Now, I like D.A. McMahon. I've known him for years. I'm probably going to support him next year, but he's a Democrat running in a borough that has become increasingly red. And he really does not want the Republicans to run a candidate against him next year. And I think because the people that were carrying out the... fraud are Republicans. McMahon is concerned that if he were to bring charges against Republican political operatives that the Republicans might take that out on him next year. I don't think that's right. I think if someone broke the law whomever it is, Democrat, Republican independent, there ought to be some charges or there ought to be an explanation from the DA as to why there are no indictments for anything. I'm not for charging people frivolously and maybe there's a good reason why no one is charged here. But just give us an explanation. Beam me up! To be Continued. Happy Thanksgiving, everyone. This is the other side of midnight on seventy ABC. I'm Frank Morano. Well, here's something that New Jersey state legislators, but not necessarily New Jersey voters, can be thankful for. A little bit less transparency. Yes, that's right. New Jersey state lawmakers' financial disclosure forms have for years been notoriously vague. Former Governor Chris Christie even tried pressuring the legislature to disclose more. The top income bracket, for instance, is over $50,000. So you can't tell if someone's making $500,000 or $50,000 and one cent. Soon, those forms could have even less information. Senate President Nick Scatari and Assembly Speaker Craig Coughlin on Monday both introduced resolutions and the fact that the leaders of each chamber are introducing this tells you they probably already have the votes to pass this to change ethics rules so that lawmakers no longer have to disclose the addresses of the property they own. Instead, they would have to provide just a brief description of the properties and where they're located. That, in and of itself, wouldn't be a huge change, but Senate President Skateri told Politico New Jersey that he's also considering other changes that would lessen disclosure requirements. Skateri, who didn't get specific on that point, cited security reasons, as well as fears of identity theft. This comes on top of legislators looking to overhaul the Open Records Act and make that act a little less open. We've been noticing a pretty steady chipping away at government and political transparency in the state of New Jersey. Dark money, for instance, is now an accepted political practice that has been upheld by the courts, even federally. It's also making it harder to secure corruption convictions against officials. And some candidates, sensing the decreasing relevance of the media in New Jersey, which is increasingly non-existent, are turning to friendly outfits that won't even bother asking them tough questions. Transparency is so important to a functioning democracy. I think it's great if you the people of the state of New Jersey want to have a part-time legislature and allow all your legislators to have other jobs, that's fine. But the taxpayers and the voters are entitled to know the nature of the financial interests that these politicians have because it could affect their votes on key legislation. I'm not saying make it a full-time job, just Better disclosure, more disclosure. Instead, the legislature seems to be aiming for less. Beam me up. To be continued. One more hour to go Until you can celebrate your Thanksgiving Without me chewing your ear off Well actually that's not true Because I'm still going to be here at 5am So we want you to keep listening One more hour of the other side of midnight to go Here on 77 WABC As disappointed as I know a lot of Republicans were statewide By the fact that they were not able to win Any statewide offices The recent election was A huge feather in the cap Of New York City Republicans Because they won a whole bunch of seats. I think there are now more New York City Republican elected officials than there's been in literally decades. They won an assembly seat in Staten Island that's been Democrat for 40 years. They won three assembly seats in Brooklyn and came very close to winning state assembly seat in Queens. Well, now one of those state assembly seats in Brooklyn might not be a Republican win after all. Democrats are saying that they might block Republican Lester Chang, who won the election fair and square from taking office next January Unless he can prove that he met residency requirements ahead of his big win over longtime assemblyman Peter Abadi. Peter Abadi had been in office for thirty six years, so it was something of a shock that anybody could beat him. He'd never lost an election before, and to see him lose when he's been reelected every year since nineteen eighty four came as something of a shock. Sure enough, a spokesman for the state assembly speaker, Carl Hasty, told the New York Post the state constitution requires that candidates reside in the county where they seek office for 1 year prior to the election. We are looking into the matter. City and State has reported that Lester Chang voted in Manhattan last year, last year, and he has to prove that he moved to Brooklyn in time to run against a body or the assembly could effectively void his election by a majority vote. Of the chamber. And if that happens, that would mean there's a special election and Peter Abadi would have an opportunity to reclaim this seat that he's had since the 1980s. Lester Chang is claiming he is a bona fide Brooklyn. Resident Peter Abadi is saying that he discussed the matter with assembly leaders and their lawyers and expects them to take action if the evidence shows Chang failed to move to the district a year ahead of the election as required. Now, I'm all for making candidates adhere to the rules. They should be adhering to the rules, including residency. But it doesn't seem like anyone made an issue of this until after Lester Chang won. The time to review people's residency is at the time their petitions are submitted, at the time the ballots are presented. If the Democrats or any other voter or any other entity wanted to challenge Lester Chang's residency, it should have been when he filed his petitions and when the ballots were printed, not after he wins the election in an upset and we have to all of a sudden now try and find a way to throw out the result. Do it before. Beam me up. To be continued.